All right, so take your Bibles and devices and turn to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14, and we'll get there in just a few moments. I have a, an addendum to our funny story about last week about Lucia and Lucille. You remember that story? So it's just the gift that keeps on giving. Um, so apparently, several amongst us don't know what raspberries are. So not only did we think that Lucia, I mean, Lucille was doing the raspberries, somebody was wanting to know why they were eating in the sanctuary. Demonstrate, please. So raspberry is what a baby typically does when they go. So I had you all do that a few weeks ago and people got mad at me because you have masks on and it's not as much fun as I do it. So we'll not do the raspberry sound. Well, Lucia may, if, she, if she's here. Yeah, so, but uh, any other kid can do that, probably will not do it. Listen, I really hesitated uh, on this particular section of Scripture. And I thought about skipping it, actually, um, this portion in Ephesians 3. Because just a few months ago, I actually spoke a message during our 21 days of prayer and fasting on these verses. Uh, and it was a really good message, <laughs> even if I do say so myself. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure I can top it, but I just couldn't skip these verses. I just can't because when you read them and you realize that Paul stops himself in the middle, in mid-sentence of what he's writing to them so that he can pray for them, it makes me realize just like he did in chapter one. He did it there too, and now he has stopped what he's writing in order to pray. You recognize that what Paul is doing is not instructional in nature. It's transformational. It's designed that the Holy Spirit would do something in those that are reading his letter. That includes in us. And it's just too good not to hear it again. And Paul is too good of an example to just skip over it. And so we're going to read these verses again and see what they might say to us, what the Lord might say to us in them. Paul starts, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I love how Paul prays. I love that we get to see this side of Paul and his ministry. His role as intercessor. I can assure you that some of my most significant times, times in my spiritual journey have been praying with those people that I love and respect. 
They have been what marked me, what framed me out, what actually gave me more meaning than any sermon, any conference, any church meeting I've ever been to. Praying with people has changed me. People like my wife and my kids and my parents and Brother John and Robert Grant and Brother Charles and Curtis and Jamie and Kathy and our elders and our leaders and now my grandchildren. When you pray, that is the most important thing that as a believer in Christ Jesus, you can do. And yet we oftentimes see it as just the only thing we can do. It's the most important thing. As significant as Paul's apostolic and pastoral ministry was in, in shaping and forming and creating the New Testament church, we really touch Paul's heart when we hear him pray. We really touch people's hearts when we hear them pray. Brother Curtis has repeatedly shared with our leaders that the most important thing that we can do as caretakers, as shepherds, as, as under-shepherds to the great shepherd, is the most important thing we can do in that role of leadership and service is to pray for you. In fact, Curtis admonished me early on that if I spent more time praying for you, then what I did speaking to you, God's purpose would go forth even further in you. I may not be very good at preaching. Sometimes I hit a single or a double. A lot of times I strike out. I may not be that good at counseling or coaching. I, we may not be that good at planning a meeting or, or leading you into the worship. But if prayer is not the core, the central core of our spiritual DNA, then we're in trouble. I want to admonish you as a parent, as a spouse, as a single adult, as a young person, whatever station you are in life, the greatest thing that you can do for those that you love and that God has brought into your life is to pray for them. And that's what Paul is doing. He's not simply writing to them about prayer. He's not giving them a three-point sermon or a 10-point Bible study on prayer. He prays for them. He prays. While he's writing to them, he just stops and he prays. And whoever was there helping him write this just decided to write this prayer down to make sure that it got included in this letter going to those in Ephesus and the surrounding region. And Paul starts praying out of his heart. He's fervently calling them by name. He's petitioning before the Father on their behalf. The Father who, who, is, who the Bible says that, that Paul read and he said that all families, every family in heaven and on earth has been named by that Father, our Father. That phrase is kind of a play on words in the Greek if you were to study it, but it really helps connect us back to this idea of what Paul's been talking about, this mystery. Remember, we looked at it last week. The mystery that Gentiles now, through the gospel, have been, have been made fellow heirs. They've become members of the same body 
with those Jewish people who've received Jesus as their Messiah. And they are now, we are all now partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus. And so when Paul says, the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth, he's just talking about the mystery one more time. Notice how Paul positions himself in prayer. He doesn't stand with his head bowed. He bows his knees. He gets down on his knees, and this would have been noticeable in the first century because Jewish people just didn't pray that way. Their custom was to stand with their head bowed, and they would rock back and forth, much like you will see if you see the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem today. For a Jew to kneel was extraordinary, but not unheard of. Solomon, when he dedicated the temple, knelt before God. And Jesus himself, when in the Garden of Gethsemane, on the night that he was betrayed, he knelt before his father in prayer. Kneeling is a, a posture of vulnerability. It's, it's showing dependence upon the one to whom you're kneeling. It's showing reliance upon him and him alone. It's showing submission. It also keeps us from strutting and showing off. Hard to do that when you're kneeling. It also keeps us from running away and hiding. Hard to do that when you're kneeling. It shows complete acceptance of the Father's will, retreating from our own natural order to be submitted to his perfect will. This is where Paul prays on his knees. This is where he prays, talking to Jesus. He comes with earnest desire to see these things that he is impassioned about, that he is petitioning on behalf of all of us listening, that he is asking the Father to do something that only God can do in the hearts of these that are followers of Jesus, in this church, in our church, in you today. One of the greatest comforts to me is to know that Jesus himself intercedes for us. And I think Paul has tapped into something about the intercessory priestly role of Jesus. Jesus is interceding on behalf of us with the Father. The Spirit is interceding on behalf of us. Paul has interceded on behalf of us. How much more should we intercede on behalf of those that we love? What Paul prays is quite a bit different, if we're honest, with how we typically pray. <laughs> I mean, we normally pray with our hands held out, like God fixed this problem, God solved this issue, God meet this need. And there's nothing wrong with that, because God says to us that we are to make our requests known to God. But if that's all we ever do in our prayer life, it's pretty shallow, it's pretty hollow, and it can grow very myopic and me-centered. Paul is choosing to pray way more than what the typical person prays. He is going broadly where we typically go narrow. Paul is demonstrating a much better way to pray 
Not that he doesn't care about our needs and our provisions and that we would have a lessening of our issues and circumstances that are bad. It's just that he believes there's a higher priority to pray about. There's something greater for us. And he models it so well. And we read the verses, verse 16, saying that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. In your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul's praying that something will happen in our inner being. In the place that nobody sees in the place that makes us who we are he's praying that we will be strengthened with power through the holy spirit and that's an amazing phrase right there that we would be strengthened with power through the spirit why so that christ (laughs) that christ himself may dwell in our hearts through faith what a prayer When Paul says that Christ may dwell in your hearts, he could have used two different Greek words. The one he didn't use could mean it means to stay somewhere as a guest, like you would check into a hotel. You stay there in a hotel, and if you're like me, you don't even unpack your suitcase, much less go around and start remodeling the room while you're there. That makes no sense. I'm not going to strip down the wallpaper and paint. I'm just there for a short time. But that's not the word Paul used when he said, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Paul used a word that is much stronger, much more permanent. It has staying power to it. It literally means to take up permanent residence. So Paul prays that Our inner beings will be strengthened with the power of the Holy Spirit so that Christ will take up permanent residence by faith. That he'll settle in. That he'll move in and strip down that old wallpaper and repaint and remodel and reconstruct if necessary. That he literally makes your heart his home. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul isn't speaking poetically or metaphorically. He means that Jesus is literally dwelling within us by the Holy Spirit. Scripture backs this up. You can see it in multiple scriptures in the Bible, such as Galatians 2.20, where Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I that live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And then Paul asked the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 15, 5, do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Since Christ lives in us, and that is where he wants to make his abode, his dwelling place, in the center of our beings, this prayer by Paul is not just instructional, It's transformational. It's designed that we would be different because of his presence within us. That he moved in and he took the keys and he gets to remodel however he chooses to. We'll never be the same. 
This is in keeping with what the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel said, and God was speaking through him when he said this, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you, excuse me, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Paul is praying right along this line. He's tapping into this Old Testament understanding that they weren't able to keep the law of God, so God was going to have to move in and take over, permanently reside within them. That he was going to have to take out their heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. That he was going to literally put his spirit inside of you. Imagine that. Paul says that you might be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner beings so that Christ may dwell in you through faith. That's our part. His part is the moving in. Our part is having faith. The second thing Paul prays is just as profound as the first. Starts in 17. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. That includes you and I. That includes all those that went before us, all those that come after us. That includes all these that are reading this letter. It includes all those that were with Paul when he wrote it. It includes everyone who's in Christ that we would all have the ability to understand its breadth and its length, and its height, and its depth, the vastness, it goes every direction. You can't contain it. So that, or and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I, my version, the old version used to say, surpasses understanding. I can't understand it. How, am I, how can I know something I can't even understand? That's the point. That it takes over. It gives you a knowledge you couldn't get on your own. That you may be filled, Paul finishes, with all the fullness of God. Can you hear Paul's prayer for us? You know, he's not praying, dear Sally, the Lord bless Sally. Give her a new job. Lord, give, give Sally, you know, help her with her cold. Help, help Sally with her rotten children. Help Sally get to church on time because she bothers me. None of those things may be bad to pray for Sally, but what Sally needs is the indwelling of Christ. And Sally needs to understand the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That changes Sally, and then Sally's circumstances start lining up with God's word. Again, Paul is praying about transformation, this time for us to be filled with all the fullness of God. I love it when my notes go away. Praise God. A lot of people picture God as perpetually disappointed with them. They... They figure that they're trying to obey him, that it's out of duty and obligation. But what they need to understand is that the only way to obey him is out of response to his love for us. If you love me, you'll obey me. 
And the only way we can love him is to understand more fully his love for us. This first issue is not disobedience on their part. Their first issue is not understanding how much he loves them. Because when you understand how much Jesus loves you, it changes you. It, it moves you beyond where you have been and you begin responding to him rather than trying to earn something from him. Paul prays that we would be rooted and grounded in love. Now, I love that imagery. I think it is so profound. Roots are the part of the plant that grow where nobody sees. You don't see roots growing. If you pull the plant out to see if a root was growing, you've just done it harm. You leave it in the ground so the roots can grow. And what do roots do? Well, they provide anchorage. It establishes the plant so that it can withstand the weather and the winds and the storms that come. The deeper the roots, the stronger the plant can be. And from these roots is where it gets nourishment and nutrients and water, all that it needs to grow faster and taller and more productive. A weak root system leads to a weak plant. Now, when we are rooted and grounded in his love, then we begin to experience the multiple dimensions of his love. They're, they're, they, they, go, they go really wide. And they go really long. And they go really, really high. And they go really, really deep. And next thing we know, his love, we can't keep up with it. It is literally growing in areas that we can't even understand. Every cavity of our life is being filled with this love because it is overwhelming us. The greater that comprehension is just that we really can't comprehend. The greater our knowing is really that we can't fully know, but it is his love that sustains us and is what allows us to be filled up with all the fullness of God. Unfortunately, there are a lot of Christians who are like potted plants. I call it potted plant Christianity. They, they're in a plant, in a pot, but the roots get bound up and cramped. And after a while, it causes the plant to suffer. They're not grounded. They're not rooted. They're not allowed to grow more fully. It's like they're being stuck in that pot Roots cramped for space, sitting in a greenhouse somewhere so they can move to the next destination. My wife has this little green plant that she sits on our coffee table. It's been there for five years. Small pot. It's a beautiful plant as long as it gets water. But the other day I was watering it because it was droopy, and it droops about every four days. And I realized that as I picked it out, the whole root ball just came right out of the pot. It was so bound up. The plant is not healthy. But it fits the pot, so that's the one that goes back in there. That's what a lot of Christians are like. Our roots are all bound up. We fit in the pot, but we would do so much better if we got planted in the yard. Where our roots could grow and we could be fertilized and nutrients could come and we could be what we were made to be. Are you rooted and grounded in love? in the wide open spaces of his glory and grace? 
Do you have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ? Know as much as you can because it surpasses your knowledge. It's in this rooted, grounded, unlimited love of God that we are able to be filled with all the fullness of God himself. It's a mystery. Paul already said that. But it is what he is desiring for those that he leads in Ephesus to understand. In these few verses, Paul is relaying not to us information. He is praying for us transformation. That in our inner beings, we will be strengthened with power through the spirit in our inner self. And that we might understand that Christ is dwelling in our hearts through faith. And secondly, he's praying for us to be filled with all the fullness of God, rooted and grounded in that love, strengthened to more fully comprehend the incomprehensible love of Christ. And therefore, we can be filled with all the fullness of God. Listen to how Paul concludes his prayer. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. According to the power that is already at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. When you think about it, the far more abundantly than all that we ask or think is exactly what Paul's been praying for us. That Christ may dwell in our hearts and that we might be filled with all the fullness of God through the love of Jesus Christ. According to the power that has already at work in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. My wife is in the back room teaching again. So if anybody has a revelation, they want to come up here and speak for a moment. No, um, Jamie said no, we cannot allow that. But I want to pray for us, just like Paul prays for us. Musicians are going to come. We're going to sing a song in just a moment. Would you join with me in prayer? Father, you're the one that does far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think. We can't even imagine what we would need that you've not already outdone yourself. You have done in us and for us the things that are most important. You have allowed for our hearts to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. It is Christ in us, the hope of glory. Not ourselves in us, not our old man in us, not our sinful nature in us. It is Christ in us, the hope of glory. 
the hope of overcoming anything we face is Christ in us, him taking up permanent residence in our lives where he has the keys and he gets to remodel and redo whatever he wants. We also thank you, Lord, that you have allowed us to be grounded and rooted in your love, that we could comprehend with all the saints what is the vastness of your love, that we would know the love of Christ, which surpasses understanding, so that all the fullness of God could fill us up. God, when we need to pray for one another, may we pray these things. We need to pray for our kid that's not doing so well or our marriage that's struggling. We need to pray for the neighbor that doesn't know you. And we need to pray for a situation at work or at school. May we first start with these things, that Christ would dwell in us permanently and that we would be rooted and grounded in your love and that your love, though incomprehensible, would be the thing that motivates us. Help us, O oh God, as a church community here in Lawrenceville, Georgia, in this year, 2021, to be these kinds of people, praying people that have Christ residing within them and that have the love of Christ compelling, constraining, and dictating everything that we do. Let these things that Paul prayed for us keep us, sustain us, and propel us into your purpose, I pray in Jesus' name.